Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. It is Genesis chapter 2, where my Bible is opened up. I would strongly encourage you to be looking in the Bible at Genesis chapter 2, as well as the other passages that we'll be reading and discussing this evening. I don't want you to ever take my word on anything when I'm standing in this pulpit. Rather, it's better if we get a Bible out and let's take God's Word for it by looking at His Word. Uh, That's what this portion of our worship is just devoted entirely to. It is great to see everybody tonight. It is great to just have such a wonderful number in attendance. We had lots of folks mentioned visiting with us this morning, but I can see that several of you held over uh, throughout the, the evening, and we're glad that you're here, and some other folks that are visiting with us. We just really, really appreciate uh, you coming our way. It has been a great day today. I've just been very encouraged and edified by the time that we've spent together in worship this morning and this evening. Appreciate very much the comments that I received by several after services this morning. Folks saying about the lesson that 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 helped me. Or I needed that. It helped me to kind of recalibrate and refocus some things in my life. And i got to tell you, that's really about the best compliment that you can give a preacher uh, is that the things that he said were needful and helpful. And I hope that that will continue to be the case tonight. Talk about some things that I hope will be helpful, except maybe in a slightly different direction. In Genesis chapter 2, I'm reading here at the very end of the chapter, beginning in verse 21. In Genesis chapter 2 and in verse 21, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. and They shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked... They were not ashamed. But imagine that everybody has heard of a marriage made in heaven, and I would guess that this right here is about as close as you can get to that description. This is God creating a wife for Adam. And this is that first marriage, that first home in the Garden of Paradise. And I happen to think that many people are interested in having what God has set up here. Many young people are looking for that kind of thing. They're looking for a match made in heaven. But let's be honest. It's not as easy for us today as it was for Adam. God just God just took care of all the work for Adam. In fact, the rise of, of dating websites like Match.com and eHarmony.com, I think would attest... That people today are are looking frantically. They are trying desperately to find that right person. All sorts of personal ads are put out on Craigslist and in newspapers still. I stumbled across a couple of personal ads that I thought I would share with you. The first one here. Single white male, 40, seeks life mate to help dig foxholes and make bombs and clean and load machine guns, and stitch flesh, because well, cause Armageddon won't be any fun to face alone. Wow. If Tom wasn't married, I would think that Tom wrote that particular personal ad. <laughs> or what about this one? Female mother of one, seeking a certain caliber of man, and this lady is seeking a certain caliber of man. He must be sane, sober, sincere... And he must be born on October 25th, October 29th, November 2nd, November 11th, or November 20th 
In the year 1958, no exceptions. My, you know, it's good to know what you want, but I'm guessing she's severely limiting her options with all of that. Those kinds of things let us know that people, they are looking. They're looking for that right person, that right match that they can marry and be with and they can live happily ever after. And I'd like to think that young people, unmarried folks in particular, they are very concerned with that. I'd like to think that our young people are very concerned with finding that person, finding that special someone. In fact, sometimes people even speak in terms today of finding their soulmate. Well, I don't know a whole lot about soulmates. And I've got to tell you, I'm not even entirely comfortable with the expression match made in heaven. But I do know a little something about the Bible. And I want to use the Bible this evening to develop three important questions that you need to be asking yourself before you get married. And I believe that if you will use these three questions as the criteria, as the cornerstones for deciding who it is that you will marry, I believe that you can have a marriage that will be top-notch, It'll be God-honoring, and it'll be the kind of relationship that goes the distance. I'm of the belief that you can do better than personal ads. You can find someone who understands what you understand about God's Word whenever you ask and whenever you answer these three questions. And I do believe that there'll be stuff in this lesson tonight for, for all of us. Folks who are already married, folks who've been married for a, a very, very long time, I think there'll be stuff here for you. I think there'll be stuff here for parents and just other adult figures as we try to guide and influence our kids to, to make the best possible decisions. But mostly this evening, I am talking to people who one day hope to be married as they think about the most crucial decision that they will ever make in this life, second only to the decision to obey the gospel, and that is the decision of who to marry. Are you ready for that? Let's just start with this first question. Question number one. What do I think about marriage? How do I view marriage? What do I believe about marriage and what that's for? Since you're here in Genesis chapter 2, it's not a far cry to just find Genesis chapter 1. Just flip back a page. In Genesis chapter 1, we notice here that as God is beginning the creation process, the creation of the universe, there's a certain expression that just keeps popping up over and over again as God is creating things. In Genesis chapter 1, notice for example in verse 4, as God is separating the light from the darkness, verse 4 says that God saw that the light was good. Drop down to verse 10. Verse 10, God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together He called seas, and God saw that it was good. Drop down to verse 17. In verse 17, God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to separate the light from the darkness, and God saw that it too was good. God looks down from heaven. He sees His handiwork. And over and over and over again, Genesis says that God saw what He made and He saw that it was good. It was very good. But then we come to chapter 2. And there's a bit of a hiccup. In chapter 2, look in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, after creating the man, 
Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. In all the goodness of the things that had been made, the one thing that the Bible says was not good was the fact that man was made and he was by himself. God's answer to that was the verses we began with this evening at the end of Genesis chapter 2. God designed a woman. God designed marriage. And you know what that means? That means that God sees marriage as a good thing, as a very good thing. And so let's just start right here with this question. As you think about one day getting married, you need to ask yourself, how do I feel about marriage? Do I look at that and see that as being a good and positive thing? You know, I ask that because we live in a day and in a time and in a society that seems to be very negative about marriage. You know, I find it ironic that in our society today, it seems like the only people who speak positively and, and, and want to get married are the people in the LGBT community. Meanwhile, all the rest of the folks, all the heterosexuals, they're the ones running marriage down. And talking bad about it. And making jokes about it. About, oh, it's the ball and chain. It's just a horrible kind of thing. And as a result of all of that marriage, it is painted out to be like it's just some big burdensome relationship. In fact, the singer and actress Cher, she is very famous for this quotation. She said, and I quote, Yes, I believe in the institution of marriage. But who wants to live in an institution? <laughs> That's so funny, I guess. You know, is that where we have come in our thinking about marriage? Is that where we have kind of devolved to about what God created in the beginning? That it's an institution. That it is the ball and chain. That it's just the scene of fussing and fighting and misery all the time. And it just makes life just horrible. I'm asking you, what is your attitude? about marriage. And if your attitude about marriage is of the rotten persuasion, then can I just say very candidly, don't get married. That isn't going to turn out good. If you're not starting this thing off with the right kind of attitude, it's not going to be good. Because when God established in the book of Genesis, when He established in the Garden of Eden that institution, if you want to call it that, What God designed there was something that was good. Something that would be fulfilling. Something that would be enriching. Something that would meet the deepest needs for human companionship and love and affection. So before I get married, I need to just hit the pause button. And I need to ask, I need to answer myself. Do I see marriage in that way? Do I see marriage as something that will be a blessing in my life? as something that will be a blessing, not just in my life, but also in the life of my spouse, the person I'm going to marry? Do I think about marriage the way that God thinks about marriage? You need to think about that. Because your attitude in how you approach marriage and what your expectations are of marriage, that's going to play a huge role in whether or not it's successful. As we're asking and answering that first question, we need to also be asking and answering this second question. And that is, am I looking for someone with spiritual character? I think this is probably the most important of these three questions. And so I'm going to spend the greatest amount of time right here. I believe this one right here, it matters more than anything else. 
You know, I'm afraid that whenever we start talking about this particular part of marriage, what happens is, is we get lost in this big, huge, do you have to marry a Christian debate. And I'm going to suggest to you this evening that I think that's the wrong question. We're always asking, do you have to marry a Christian? That is the wrong question for us to ask. Because I have known, and maybe you have known as well, People who married someone who, yeah, their their name was in a church directory somewhere. In fact, maybe they were officially and technically a Christian, and they identified as a member of some local church someplace. But that marriage was filled with all kinds of problems, all kinds of strife, all kinds of discord, and why? Well, because that person that they got married to, they didn't have real spiritual character. They were a Christian, but they were a Christian in name only. And so that's why this evening I'm not asking, are you looking for someone who goes to church? I'm not even asking, are you looking for someone who has been baptized? I'm asking you this evening about that person's heart. Does that man or that woman, do they have a heart for God? Do they care about the Lord? Are they interested in His Word? Do they strive to live God's way? Look in Ephesians 5 with me, please. In Ephesians chapter 5, let's just see if we can revisit a familiar old text. Let's see if maybe we can look at it in a new way. Ephesians chapter 5 is that famous description of marriage as God would have it. But I'd like for us tonight to read this passage through the lens of finding someone who has spiritual character. We're going to find someone who is doing these things that Ephesians 5 talks about. So, for example, gentlemen, gentlemen, I want to find, verse 22, I want to find a wife who will submit to me her husband as to the Lord. Because the husband, he's the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I'm looking for that kind of wife. Alright, ladies, what about you? Verse 25. Ladies, I'm looking for a man who will be a husband that loves his wife, that loves me just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up, sacrificed himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, verse 28, I want a husband who's going to love me as their own body, because the man who loves his wife loves himself. For no one's ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of His body. Then verse 31, here's where Genesis 2 gets repeated. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to to Christ and to the church. However, let each one of you love his wife. Ladies, I'm looking for a man who's going to love me as he loves himself. And then, gentlemen, I'm going to be looking for a wife that will respect me as her husband. Now, I think that's a powerful way 
of looking at that passage. Because that passage describes for us at its essence what marriage ought to be and what we then ought to be looking for in marriage. Because it describes throughout this text, it describes people who have some spiritual character about them. It describes people who care about their relationship with Jesus Christ first and foremost. And when you have people who both care about their relationship to Jesus Christ, then Ephesians 5 becomes the very best possible plan for a home that anyone could ever have. In fact, if you do Ephesians 5 in your home, you get to go to heaven at the end. What better end could there possibly be than that? Not only that, but Ephesians chapter 5 provides for us the very best possible kinds of marriage while we're still here upon this earth. That it's going to bring the joy and the satisfaction that marriage is designed to bring. And the reason that that's going to happen is because what we see in Ephesians chapter 5, this is God's plan. And guess what? Surprise, surprise. God's plan works. It defines our roles. It defines our responsibilities. It defines the expectations that we ought to have for that relationship. Ephesians chapter 5 is very much the roadmap to having wedded bliss. Now, we look at that and we say, that's right. That's right. That is God's plan. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. in my, When I get married, I'm going to do that in my marriage. Okay, that's great. Let me ask you this. Have you found someone that you're going to do that with? Are you looking for someone who will do that with you? Because remember, this marriage thing, it, it takes two to tango here. we we got two people involved in this relationship. And so I'm asking, are you looking for somebody who wants that very same thing too? Girls, if you are seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, Matthew 6.33, then don't you want to find a guy who is also seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Guys, if you are trying to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3 verse 18 then don't you want to find a girl who is also growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Do you see what we're talking about here? We're talking here about a whole lot more than, well, is he or is she been baptized? That's good. It's great if somebody's been baptized. But we need to be asking a much deeper question than that. We need to be asking, does he or does she have spiritual character? Now what happens when you don't have that? I can show you what happens. Look in Judges 14. In the Old Testament, in Judges chapter 14, here is a fella who didn't have a lot of spiritual character himself. And as a result, this guy, Samson, we know him as, Samson ended up struggling with women. In fact, that seemed to be his Achilles heel all throughout his life. And so we read in Judges chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. That is the pagan, godless people. Verse 2. Then he came up and he told his father and his mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Oh. I've seen that. 
I've seen that exact thing in my day and time. I have seen good, godly men who should have been spiritual giants for the Lord, who then got interested in a Philistine-type woman, and so they went out and they married a Delilah, and the next thing you know, that good and godly man, he's now living like a Philistine himself. And why? Because he adopted the values of his wife. She had no spiritual character. She had no care or concern about God. She, she ended up persuading him, influencing him. He didn't influence her. She did the influencing. And apparently he didn't even have the spiritual character that many of us maybe thought that he had at first. And so now as a result, neither of them are doing what's right. Can I say right here to our young ladies? Young ladies, please do not reason and rationalize and say things like, well, well maybe I'll convert him someday. That's what, that's what I'll do. I'm going to teach him the gospel and I'm going to convert him one of these days. Listen to me very carefully. Marriage is not an evangelism project. If you don't remember anything else I say out of this sermon, remember that. Marriage is not designed to be an evangelism project. Now, yes, I realize that there are some people who do become Christians as a result of the great efforts of their spouses. And I'm so thankful for that. But I will say again that there is no place in Scripture where Jesus says, go into all the world, find an unbeliever, marry him, because that will cause him to be converted. No! Marriage is supposed to be about the union of two people who are pointed in the same direction. Two people who are pulling together. They're working together toward a common goal. They want the same things out of life. Can I ask, how in the world is that possibly going to work if one person is pulling and straining in the direction of heaven and the other person is completely indifferent to that priority? Jewish rabbis, they have a saying that goes like this. A fish and a bird can get married, but where will they live? And I think that's a pretty good question. That's something I need to think about. Am I looking for somebody who wants to live according to the Word of God? You know, my father is, he's not one to go around and try to push all kinds of wisdom and advice uh, on others. And he didn't do that to us growing up, just kind of like shoveling advice on us. But maybe in kind of a roundabout, inadvertent way, one of probably the most important pieces of advice that I know he instilled in me from a very young age, and that is that I need to marry somebody who would help me go to heaven. And that's what we're talking about here. And that's what Ephesians chapter 5 is driving at. And yes, that does mean that that person, they're going to be somewhere on Sunday morning. Yes, I understand that. But listen to me, young people. It means a whole lot more than just that. It means that that person has a genuine heart for God. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? Understand very clearly that you will find what you are looking for. The question is, are you looking for the right things? All too often, young people and even older people, they're looking for things like, does that person have money? Does that person have all kinds of popularity and prestige? Do they have a good, stable job? 
Does that person have a great sense of humor and a dynamic personality? Does that person share similar interests and hobbies as me? Big one that's a big thing, especially when you're young. Is this person beautiful? Is he a hot hunk? Is she a beautiful babe? We're all about physical appearance. Can I say something about physical appearance? Those of you that are dating, young ladies, take a look at your boyfriend. Now take a look at your boyfriend's dad. In 30 years, that's what he's going to look like. Guys, take a look at your girlfriend. Then take a look at her mom. That's what she's going to look like in 30 years. Now tell me whether physical appearance, if that's the most important thing. I realize all those things, maybe they do factor in there somewhere. But none of those things can be the most important factor. Are you looking for this? Are you looking for someone who has spiritual depth of character? All of that then brings me to this third and final question this evening. And that is before I get married, I need to be asking myself, do I realize that I'm going to be marrying someone who is a sinner? You know, one of my chief objections to the way that Hollywood tends to portray marriage uh, in television and in the movies is that the characters are often depicted as being just virtually perfect people. You know, not only are they physically perfect, their bodies are just so perfect, their face is so perfect, they're perfectly manicured in all those ways, but they also have perfect character, stellar character in every way and shape and form. Here's maybe the female lead in the movie or in the television show. And she's hot and she's attractive from a physical standpoint. And not only that, but she's so respectful to her husband all the time. She's so submissive and follows him everywhere. She never nags about him when he sits in front of the TV and watches football too much. And then over here, here's the guy. Here's the male lead. He's just so perfect as he can be. Looks like he's been chiseled out of granite. And he's kind. And he's sensitive. And he's in touch with his feelings. And he even likes mowing the grass. Can you believe that? And so we watch all of that. We watch the the portrayal of the perfect. We see that on TV. We see that in the movies. And the next thing you know, we're out in the world. We're wandering around. And we're looking for those kinds of people. And why? Because they're so amazing. They're just so extraordinary. They're the complete package. They've got it all. They look good. They are good. They're good outside. They're good on the inside. They're just so perfect. The Bible will tell you something about that. You know what the Bible will tell you? The Bible will tell you that those people don't exist. They cannot be found. Look in Romans chapter 3 with me, please. In Romans chapter 3, Paul says something here that maybe you've never thought about in direct application to marriage, but it most certainly does apply. In Romans chapter 3, I'm looking here at verse... Can you guess it? Verse 23. In Romans 3, verse 23, Paul writes, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That verse says, just as plain as it can, nobody is perfect. You cannot find anybody on the face of this earth who is perfect in every single way. The person that you marry is going to have flaws. They will have failings. The person that you marry, they will be a sinner. But guess what? Here's kind of the bad news about that. So are you. 
You also are a sinner. We are all sinners. None of us is perfect. We harbor within us selfishness and pride and a desire to gratify ourselves at every possible turn. And we have the capability, every single one of us do, to let that sin and those sinful desires, we have the capability to let those out at any time. And guess what? When we do that, that will mar not just your marriage, that will mar every relationship. You meet somebody that you think is perfect, you stick around them long enough and you will find out that Romans 3.23, yeah, it, it applies to them. In fact, you let somebody hang around you and stick around you long enough. Maybe they think that you're perfect. It's not going to take very long. In fact, they wouldn't have to stay around me very long to realize, yep, Romans 3.23, it applies to this guy. I had a friend who got married a couple of years ago. And he and his wife, they posted uh, a video on Facebook of kind of some some highlights of their wedding ceremony. Uh, and in particular, there was a section in the video, it, it told them, uh, they, they, were, they were saying their vows. And they had written their vows themselves. He'd written the vows that he wanted to, to make to his uh, soon-to-be wife. And i I got to tell you, just something stood out to me about this particular line. In his vows, he said... He said, I pledge to meet your every need. Now, knowing this guy, I know that he was very sincere in what he said. And I really appreciated the sentiment behind that idea. But here's the facts. He'll never be able to do that. He will never be able to meet all of her needs. First of all, only the Lord can meet all of your needs. But even more so, I know my friend, and I know that he's a sinner. Which means at some point in his life, he's going to sin. He's going to be selfish. He's going to act in a selfish sort of way. And that means he's never going to live up to that vow and that promise. And why? Because, Because no one is perfect. There's not a person out there who just has every possible thing that you could want in a mate. And that you're going to be able, even you yourself, you're never going to be able to supply every possible thing that somebody else is looking for in a mate. You're not perfect. They're not perfect. And so what that means, ladies, young ladies, that means you need to stop looking for the perfect man. He was here once. He was here about 2,000 years ago. But then he went back to heaven to be with the Father. And gentlemen, we need to stop looking for the perfect woman. Because she, she ain't never been here. And she is nowhere to be found. Instead, what you will find as you survey the world is you will find, you'll find people. People who have good traits, but yes. People who also have bad traits. People who have good qualities, but people who also have some not so good qualities. And what we need to be doing in the midst of all of that mess is we need to be looking for people who are spiritually minded. Let me pull a little bit of that question number two in here. Looking for folks who are spiritually minded. People who understand the reality of what Romans 3.23 is saying. They understand that truth in their life. And as a result, they are ready and they are willing at any time to extend forgiveness. When you get married... You are marrying someone who's going to sin against you. Somebody who's going to sin against the Lord. And in that moment, you are going to need to be well practiced and well rehearsed 
in the business of saying, I have sinned. Will you forgive me? And then you need to be ready to do that yourself. Because that understanding and that ability to ask for and to extend forgiveness, because we realize that both partners in this relationship, both of us are sinners, that's the kind of thing that will help cause that relationship to grow in the direction of heaven. And it will then enable you as well to overcome any kind of problems, any kind of difficulties that every single marriage is going to experience. All of that is possible when two people who have the mind that says, you know what, we're not always going to be what we ought to be, but we believe that with God's help we can be more of what we should be. That. That is the kind of recipe and the kind of ingredients that come together to help create that match made in heaven. Now, As you look at those three questions and think about the applications that flow from them, can you see that when we talk about this idea of of who should I marry, the key here is not finding the right person. That's not the key. The key here is to be the right person. Because by being the right person, you will send out signals through your life and through your example, you are sending out signals that will attract to you the right kind of people. You need to be sending out the kind of signals that say, you know what, I take marriage seriously. I believe that what God designed all the way back there in the book of Genesis, I believe that that is, it's God-ordained, it's beautiful, and you know what, it can be awesome. It can be great, it's a good thing, it's a very good thing. And furthermore, you need to be the kind of person who lets others know through your actions and through your life that, you know what, I have spiritual character. I am a person of spiritual character. And I need to gravitate and I need other people around me who have spiritual character themselves so that we can feed off of each other and build each other up. And then thirdly, you need to be the kind of person that's ready and able and in various ways is able to show, you know what, I recognize that I am a sinner. And I want somebody who's going to love me anyway and is going to help me to overcome my sinful ways so that both of us can go to heaven someday. When two people of that mind, when they come together, then and only then will you have anything close to the idea of a marriage made in heaven. Now, as we extend the invitation of our Lord Jesus Christ, talked a lot about heaven in this sermon. Do you want to go there? I guess at a baseline, I would expect that your presence here tonight would seem to indicate that you want to go there. But maybe as we dig in that a little bit deeper, the question is, is, is are you actively taking steps and are you pursuing the things that will cause you to be in heaven someday. There are certain things that the Lord wants us to do. And it all begins with faith, believing in Him, believing who He is, believing that Jesus Christ, that He sent to this earth, that He is indeed God's Son, believing that enough to be able to confess that, to say that with our lips, to then have the desire to want to change, to no longer live for self and selfish ways and selfish desires, but to repent and to start living for the Lord and living His way. And then yes... The Lord even says that a person needs to be baptized. That is, we need to be plunged in and under the water. And there's water right behind those curtains. 
We need to be immersed in water so that our sins can be washed away. The blood of Jesus Christ will cover us and take care of those sins and we can come up out of the water a brand new person. We can begin living for the Lord, helping others, whether we get married, whether we don't get married, we can begin helping others as they help us as we all try to go to heaven someday. Do you need to take those initial steps? All things are ready for us to do that tonight. Brother or sister, it may be that you've not been living right. Maybe you started doing some things in the direction of heaven, but you got sidetracked over here. Maybe you've stopped completely doing those things. You need to repent of that. We're urging you to repent of that. God is calling you to repentance. We'll pray with you and we'll encourage you and we'll help you in whatever way that we can so that we can serve the Lord in a better way. Whatever your need might be, let's get take care of. Let's get on the path that goes to heaven. Let's do that right now while we stand and while we sing.